Okay, Dawn is going to come and read um, our Bible reading this morning. So if you have a Bible on you or you have your phone, then it would be great if you could turn to, to, to Samuel 9, 1 to 13. That's 2 Samuel 9, 1 to 13. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Mecher, the son of Emil at Lodair. Then King David sent and bought him from the house of Mechar, the son of Emil, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth, he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson, and you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him. And shall bring in produce, that their master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord and the king commands his servants, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table, like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both feet. Thank you, Dawn. I've just come up with a great icebreaker for community groups this Sunday. We should, we should do a competition within each group to see who can say the name Mephibosheth five times the fastest. Get practicing. Leaders, take note of that. <laughs> hey, that's good, good stuff, good stuff. Hey, we're on our next part in our series in the life of David. Here's where we're going to start. We all have those moments in our lives, don't we, where we, we think to ourselves, I feel like I have just experienced something that has left a deep impression upon me. We, we have moments like that. Where we find ourselves saying, I, I've just seen something, I've just done something, I've received something that has moved me in a profound way. Or or, or I've caught caught sight of something that I think is incredibly beautiful. I think for some of us, if we enjoy poetry, it might be a poem. You just think that just gave me an incredible perspective or a word picture that I have never encountered before. For some of us, it might be an interaction with a child or a grandchild. 
Their innocence, their joy, their openness to express love. Unlike the rest of us who get old and jaded and find it difficult to say I love you, but you can have those interactions with children. You just think, that moved me. Perhaps it was walking out of the cinema and you had just been blown away by the film you've just seen. You think that was the cinematography was off the charts, the plot line, the characters, the structure. That was amazing. And you feel in a daze for the next two days. You had that before? Maybe it was an evening with a friend and you keep thinking back months and months later. That, that was moving. That left an impression upon me. That was just such a beautiful time in that restaurant with those friends together. Maybe if you like a good novel, it's getting to the end, you've been absorbed, you've been so captivated by the story, and you get to the end to the last page, and you get the resolution that you wanted all the way through, and you think, yes, I will never forget that. Or maybe it's a performance you see on a stage, a dance, a play at a theater, and you just feel caught up in that moment. Maybe it's a scene in nature, maybe it's the Peak District. And when you're there, you think to yourself, I've just seen something, I've just done something that's moved me, it's it's left an impression upon me. Here's maybe how you would word it, I've just seen something so beautiful. You know what, for many people, this chapter in 2 Samuel produces that same response. This act of inclusion from David to Mephibosheth, it is something that has caused people over thousands of years to, to be moved. I personally am one of them. This is one of, my, one of my favorite scenes in the entire Old Testament. I think this is so beautiful. Where David brings an outsider, a forgotten man, someone who lives in no man's land, and gives him a seat at the table. Now this morning is driven by David's kindness. And I want us to be captivated and see the beauty in what David is doing in showing this kindness. Now, now before we jump into it, let, let us, let's do a little bit of context work here. Just re- remind ourselves where we are. We're, we're, we're looking through the life of David, and really what we've seen so far in this series is success to success to success. We've, we've seen David learn his lessons along the way. We've, we've seen him go from the forgotten son of Jesse, the shepherd boy, now anointed future king of Israel. We've seen David defeat the Philistine giant Goliath. We have seen David being pursued by Saul because of his jealousy. We've seen David's deep, committed friendship with Jonathan. We've seen David in the cave, desperate and leaning in on God in some of the darkest times in his life. We've seen David show mercy to Saul when he could have snuffed him out like that, but he didn't. Now we've seen David become king, and his top priorities is to restore the worship of the nation of Israel. He's learned lessons along the way, but it has been success to success to success. Now I like to consider chapter 9 in 2 Samuel the high point of David's life. We'll find out from next week onwards, his life does get really messy. He makes some rubbish decisions. And he lives with those consequences for the rest of his life. But this is a high point. The land is at rest. There is peace in Israel. And David now exhibits the kindness of God. So that's what I want us to look at this morning. This is the thing that's driving this whole chapter is David's kindness. Verse 1, kindness. Verse 3, kindness. Verse 7, kindness. I want us to capture something of that beauty. I want us to see how moving it is. I want us to walk out of here having been deeply and profoundly impressioned upon by this kindness. 
So, so let's explore this. Why, why does David show this kindness? What, what inspires this kindness? Who is it who receives the kindness? Why does he receive it? And then what happens to him? How is the recipient of David's kindness, how is his life radically and forever changed? Let's dig deep into this quite stunning act of kindness from David. Now, I want to split this up into three parts for us this morning. Really simply this. We're going to look at the significance, we're going to look at the surprise, and we're going to look at the result. So the significance Why is David's kindness here so special? I mean, what should we be seeing here that should land in our lives and so we see the gravity of this? Then we'll have a look at the surprise. Why is David's kindness so surprising? I mean, who does he show it to? What We should take note about that. And then thirdly, the result. What happens to the recipient? How does his life change? What does his life look like after he has received this kindness? Now, once we've looked at those three things, I don't want to land it in our lives and ask the question, what has this story thousands of years ago got anything to do with people like us today? So let's jump into the first one, shall we? Let's have a look at the significance of David's kindness. Why is this so special? Now, if you have a look at the top of the chapter, we see David asking a question twice. He, he rewords it the second time, and that's quite significant he does that. But look at the question in verse 1. Is, is there still anyone in the house left of, house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? David then asks the question, but notice a key difference again in verse 3. What does he say? Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? So, so David's asking a simple question here. I want to show kindness to someone. So, so we see his, his dogged determination. We are seeing David's deep desire to show this kindness to someone. He's asking the question. But notice, he's uh, someone in the house of Saul, someone in the house of Jonathan. Now cast your mind back to a few Sundays ago. Do you remember? We looked at the relationship between David and Jonathan. And remember what we saw was, was that incredible camaraderie and friendship. That they had made this covenant between one another and showed kindness. David was in need of Jonathan's help, and Jonathan gave that help. Remember that covenant? That Jonathan helped him uh, when, when there was a jealous Saul after him, and Jonathan helped him when David was in the wilderness and he was lonely, and Jonathan strengthened David's hand in the Lord. And so it's like David is thinking about this, these amazing moments of what happened to him, what Jonathan did for him, and then David desires to demonstrate that same kindness to somebody who's left in Jonathan's family. So he asks this question, who's left, to the servant called, I'm going to say Ziba. You call him Ziba, Ziba, I don't know. I don't know how to pronounce it. I'm going to call him Ziba here. And so, so he asks him the question because Ziba was in Saul's house as a servant. Well, well please, is there anyone left? And Ziba answers the question, well, yeah, there is someone left. Jonathan has a son. Look at the end of verse 3. There is still a son of Jonathan, and he is crippled in his feet. You can go back to chapter 4 and verse 4 and find out that Mephibosheth's disability happened in this tragic moment when the news of Saul and Jonathan's deaths in battle came back to the house and the nurse picked up Mephibosheth. That's going to happen a lot this morning. Picked up Mephibosheth and she ran out and she tripped and fell and he ended up hurting his feet. So a tragic event. And now he's lived with this disability for all of his life now. But there is someone left in Saul's house. There is someone to show kindness to. 
So, so David's response is basically, bring him here. I've got to see this guy. I want to show him some kindness. Now, we're talking about the significance of this kindness. And we are going to understand the significance as we look at the Hebrew word in this chapter. Now, the Hebrew word, as we read in kindness in my Bible, we don't have a proper word for this in English. So when that happens in our Bible study and we find a word that we don't have an equivalent in English, we have to work extra hard to understand the concept to figure out what's happening. The word here in the Hebrew, I'm going to teach you a Hebrew word, is the word hesed. Now, now if, if you want to be really authentic, you've got to go give it the chesed. That's not COVID appropriate, so we're not going to do that. Okay, so the word is hesed. David says, I want to show the hesed of God to someone. Now, what I want to do is to try and help us understand the concept of that word. It is a huge word in the Old Testament. I can't overestimate that. It's a big word. Let let me give you some pointers on how to understand this concept. Let me give you four. Firstly, let me give you something of a definition. I'll do my best here. Hesed is when we approach a relationship and we have an attitude that says, I will show you a committed, faithful, loyal, loving kindness. That's what hesed is. It's when we approach a relationship and our attitude and our hearts towards that relationship it is to say, I'm not, not, I'm gonna, not gonna let go, I am in this. A loyal, committed, faithful kind of a love. That's what this word means. Let me give you an example, also in the Old Testament. Think about the story of Ruth. I think some of us know it well. It wasn't too long ago since we studied it. Remember in the story of Ruth, you have Naomi and her family in Israel. There's famine. They move to the land of Moab. In the land of Moab, tragedy strikes because all the men in the family are now gone. The husband and the two sons leaving behind Naomi and the daughters-in-law. Now, in her grief, Naomi wants to head back to her homeland in Bethlehem because she hears there's food, remember? And she tries to encourage her daughters-in-law to go back to Moab, to go to their people. Now, now one of them does turn around and goes back, but one of them follows Naomi. That's Ruth, remember? Remember, there's that famous statement that Ruth says to Naomi, your God will be my God, your people will be my people, I will go where you go. And she does exactly that. She then heads back to the hometown of Naomi, to Bethlehem. And you remember, she goes looking for food. And she goes gleaning around a field. It just so happens to be Boaz's field. Now, in Ruth's interactions with Boaz, Boaz describes what he sees in Ruth towards Naomi. And Boaz says, I have seen how you've treated your mother-in-law. You have shown, is the word, chesed. And getting us to understand this, look at how Ruth treats Naomi. That's Hesed, a loyal, committed, loving, faithful kindness. I'm not going anywhere, I'm in this for you. Second observation about this word I want us to understand. The attitude or the mindset behind Hesed does not say what's in this relationship for me, but says, how can I serve? How can I meet your needs? What can I be for you? That, that, that's hesed. I think a good way to understand this is pit it against the consumerist mentality in our world today. How does consumer thinking work? Well, consumer thinking says, what can I get out of this? I will only be involved if it's worth it for me. I will only go if I get something back. 
I will only jump into the relationship if I get everything that I need from you. And if that's not going to be the case, then I'm out of it. That's consumer thinking. But Hesed is the opposite. Hesed says, I am in this regardless. Hesed says, I'm not letting, letting go. Hesed says, it doesn't matter what I'm getting out of it. I'm always here for you. I mean, a good way to understand this, think about the difference between how the way the world works and how the church should work. The world works with a consumerist mentality. People are engaged only because of what they get out of something. It's an Amazon mentality, isn't it? I'll pay my money, but I've got to get what I want back, and if I don't get it, I'm really unhappy. That's the world. But in the New Testament, we see the church being called to a very different way of thinking. Well, the New Testament calls us not to walk into church with the mentality that says, what can I get from this? We are called to walk into church and engage with people with a mentality that says, how can I serve? What can I be to you? How can I be generous? What do you need from me? I will give to you. You see, that's the Hesed kind of a thinking. Not what can I get, but how can I be here for you? That's Hesed. Third little observation we need to know here. The most common way that the, that the heart of God is described towards his people is using the word hesed. God's heart towards his people in the Old Testament is described by using the word hesed. great example of this is in Exodus chapter 34. I'm going to turn there just a moment. We looked at it at prayer night last Sunday. In Exodus 34, Moses has gone up, famously gone up the mountain. God has given him the law. Down at the foot of the mountain, the people are building idols. They've asked Aaron to make them a golden calf. So what God tells Moses, he's going to need to know when he gets down, because it's going to be messy. So the, so the Lord passes by Moses and declares his character to Moses. Let me just read a couple of verses from that scene, verse 6 and 34. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, look at this word, and abounding in, it says steadfast love, but the word is hesed. Abounding in Hesed and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for a thousand generations. You read that phrase in the Psalms over and over again? The Lord is faithful, abounding in steadfast love. You know what that word is? It's Hesed. It describes God's heart towards his people most simply and faithfully. Fourth thing, final thing here about the word Hesed. Hesed is not just something we feel towards someone. It also results in action. So, so if we're faithful, if we are committed, if we are loyal, loving kindness towards someone, if we show that, then it's going to result in action. Think about the relationship between David and Jonathan. That's a covenant relationship. That's a hesed relationship. And what does Jonathan do for David? Jonathan stands up for him in that wild party when Saul is throwing spears out of jealousy and spite. But he fights for David. He protects him. He preserves him. And then when David is downcast in the wilderness, Jonathan is the one who's there on his doorstep saying, let me strengthen your heart in the Lord. You see, hesed is something we bring to our It's something we feel. It is a commitment. But it also looks like something too. When I look at this story, what does David want to show? He wants to show hesed to someone. Do you feel the gravity of this now? This is huge. He wants to show that kind of commitment, loyalty, kindness, and love to someone is there someone around who I can love? David wants to show it. Okay, that's the significance of David's kindness. Let's look at number two. The surprise of David's kindness right here. Now, Mephibosheth is brought to David 
And of course, he's feeling fearful. Have a look at verse 6. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. Now as we continue reading, what we're going to see is two key things in Mephibosheth's thinking. Number one, he is full of fear. He is completely terrified that he has been called by David and now has to stand before him. Second thing we see is is that he feels a deep sense of self-deprecation and hopelessness. Is it why do you want to regard a dead dog such as I? He feels like a nobody. He feels like he's worthless. He feels like it doesn't make sense why someone like David would show him kindness in any way whatsoever. But that's what we see in Mephibosheth. That's how he feels. Now let's keep reading. Next two verses, seven and eight. Because here is where Mephibosheth's life is turned on its head. And David said to him, do not fear, for I will show you, as that word, kindness, hesed. I will show you hesed. For the sake of your father, Jonathan, I will restore to you all of the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should, you should regard, show regard for a dead dog such as I? You see that? Mephibosheth's life has changed in an instant. One thing I want us to see here, and this is what makes it surprising. Did you notice the fear that Mephibosheth has as he comes in? Now what we see across ancient, the ancient Near Eastern world, and what we see throughout history, is that when a new power takes to the throne, or a new royal family is in charge, usually their first task is to get rid of any remnants from the previous dynasty, from the previous empire, or the previous royal family. I mean, that doesn't just happen in the Bible, it happens throughout history. That what you've got to do once you come into power is your first job has got to be to get rid of anyone else who was associated with the previous royal family. That's how it worked. I'll show you an example. In 2 Kings chapter 10, you don't have to turn there, but I'll read just one verse. This is uh, King Jehu, and he's purging the, the, the land from anyone else who's associated with the previous power. And so Jehu struck down all who remained in the house of Ahab in Jezreel, and all of his men, and his close friends, and his priests, until he left none of them remaining. So, so the normal practice is to get rid of them. That's what you do. They're, they're a threat, aren't they? They have to consolidate or solidify their position on the throne. And they do that by getting rid of any threat, any opposition, any enemy, anybody who's associated with the previous royal family. They need to be gone. But what do we see in David? Is is he snuffing Mephibosheth out? No. Or or do we see David say this to him? Look, I'm going to be a little bit kind to you. I think I'm going to be really kind. You can go live in a different country. and You're lucky they haven't killed you. Or, Or you can stay in Israel... I'll give you some land and money, but you say anything about being associated with Jonathan or Saul, that's it for you. That's not what we see. We see full inclusion. Mephibosheth is brought in. You you see, the surprising thing about this kindness is that David turns Mephibosheth from a threat into a person to love. This kindness is so deep, so profound, and so great that an enemy becomes somebody who sits at the table. I mean, that needs to blow our minds this morning. The power of the Hesed. Now, notice what David is saying. Did you see in verse 3 how he words the question? He says, 
I want to show what the kindness of God to someone. I, I think that's very significant. So what does that mean that David is doing? David is saying, I want to show the kindness that I have already see, received from God. I want to show that to someone else. So what David is doing in turning this threat into a person to love is demonstrating what he believes the heart of God to be like. You see that? He's, he's exposing how he believes God works. God turns enemies and he turns them into people to love. He takes the threats and the opposes and he brings them to the table. A good way for us to understand this more deeply is to look at an opposite example, a contrasting example. Think about the character of Jonah in the Old Testament. He does the opposite to David. So Jonah gets the commission. Go and talk to the Ninevites. I've got a message. He famously goes the other direction, doesn't he? Now we often think that's because of fear. And I know fear played a part of it, but actually it was hatred. People hate the Ninevites. The Ninevites are the people who are beyond barbaric. Brutal in battle is an understatement. He doesn't want to go take the, God's grace and mercy to those people. They don't even deserve it. So he goes the other direction. But the Lord has his way, and Jonah finds himself in the middle of the city of Nineveh, preaching his short sermon, and what do the people do? They repent and they turn to the Lord. Now then we find in the story, Jonah's sitting on a hill outside of the city, and he's sulking. And God says, Jonah, do you have any right to be angry? Essentially what God is teaching him here, Jonah, you're missing the fact that I can bring these enemies, I can bring these outsiders, I can bring these people who you would have forgotten about, they can see this grace too. I turn enemies into people who I love. I take the opposers and I bring them to the table. Jonah didn't get that. That's what the book of Jonah is about. Is us having our minds blown by the fact that God's grace goes further than we could ever imagine. But David gets what Jonah doesn't. David can see that God's hesed, his kindness, his covenantal committed love can make enemies into people who are to be loved. And that's exactly what we're seeing right here, aren't we? He's showing God's kindness. Okay, that's a surprise. It turns an enemy into someone to love. Let's look at the result here. What happens to Mephibosheth? I mean, I mean, what happens when he's shown this kindness? How does his life change? So let's read verse 9 down to the end of the chapter. As I go, keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes open for phrases that communicate inclusion. And there's also a repeated phrase in there. It's a location in David's house. But you see it. Let's read. And then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servant shall till the land for him and bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. You see that? My table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord and king commands his servant so will your servant do. This is a cool sentence here. And Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem. Here we go. For he, all, for he ate always at the king's table. For now he was lame in both feet. You see what's happening here? You notice the phrases of inclusion, two things I want us to see. Firstly, 
the repetition of the phrase table. And it's, not, it's not Mephibosheth, you live somewhere else in the country and I'll spare your life. Mephibosheth, sit at my table. There will always be a seat with your name on it. Second thing, he's treated like a son. Both of these communicate to us that this is full inclusion. Mephibosheth is in the family. He has this outrageous and radical kindness shown to him by King David. The third thing is the result here. Let me give you an answer. The result of David's kindness is that Mephibosheth is now sitting at the table like one of David's sons. This is a great reversal. Can you see this? He's gone from the lowest to the highest place in the land. You notice in the text that it it says that Mephibosheth comes from a place called Lo-Dabar. In the Hebrew, Lo is no. Dabar means thing. No thing. Literally, it means no place. Nowhere. Desolation. No man's land. So he's come from nowhere. And he's now somewhere. He's been a nobody. Now he's a somebody. He was unseen. Now he is seen. He was forgotten. Now he is remembered. This is a beautiful, great reversal in Scripture where someone like Mephibosheth is remembered and he's brought into David's family. Do you love this? This is the significance of the kindness, the surprise of the kindness, the result of the kindness. Now here's the question, where does this leave us today? Because we kind of ask the question at this point, right? I, I, I love it. I mean, it's, it is a moving story. It's, 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 it, it leaves an impression upon us. That just must have been incredible to witness. You know, maybe it was breaking David's heart every day as he watched Mephibosheth struggle across the palace floor towards the table and then got to see him sit at the table. It's beautiful. But where does it leave us? Because we might be sitting here thinking to ourselves, well, well, I love it, but this happened thousands of years ago. And I love the fact that Mephibosheth receives the kindness and I love the fact that David shows the kindness. That's great for them. But where does it leave me? Well, you know where I'm heading with this. It's pointing us straight to Jesus. Here's the thing. In Jesus, we have the ultimate kindness of God on display. If you're wondering what Hesed really looks like, look into the life, the person, the work, the cross of Christ. And what we find in Jesus is both of these things are true. In Jesus, we have received like Mephibosheth. In Jesus, we show like David. Let me take you through each of those. How have we received in Jesus? Well, think about it. How does Mephibosheth, what's his experience? He receives God's hesed through David. What do we have in Jesus? We have God's loyal, committed, covenantal, faithful love. If you want to know what the heart of God is like towards you, look at Jesus. Famously, a theologian once said, there is no God behind the back of Jesus. You want to know what God looks like, go to Jesus. You want to know what the heart of God is like, go to Jesus. And in Jesus, what you find is the very kindness of God on display. It's the kind of love that says, I will never let you go. It's the love that says, I'm going to hold on. It's the love that says, it's not about me, it's about you and meeting your needs. Isn't that true in Christ? But Jesus says to, says to us, whom the Father gives me, I will never, never cast out. And then we go to the cross. What do we find? The hesed of God on display. Jesus didn't come into this world saying, what can I get out of this? 
He came into this world to meet our greatest need, to forgive us from our sins and bring us into his family. Do you see that in Christ? We see God's significant love on display. But, but also, right, we, we see the surprise. Because we were once enemies. And we have been made his kids. Romans chapter 5 says that without Jesus, we are at enmity. We are enemies of God. We are antagonistic in our hearts towards him. Whether it feels like that or not. Often we do that very well by hiding from him. But our hearts are restless. We don't want his authority or we don't want to submit to him in our lives. We don't want to admit that we've fallen short. We are enemies without Jesus. But the beauty of the cross is that Jesus has brought us near. That Jesus has died for our sin. That Jesus has taken what we deserved. Why? So that enemies can become people to love. We go from the no man's land to the king's table. And then also in Christ, we are invited to eat at the king's table. At the end of the book of Revelation, we read about this great feast that is going to occur. Jesus is going to return. He's going to judge the living and the dead. For those who are in Christ, here's a warning to you this morning. Outside of Christ, sorry, here's a warning. You will remain in the land of desolation. But if you are in Christ, you will be brought to the table. You have an invitation. Jesus is going to take away our suffering and our pain. Jesus is going to deal with our hurts. He's going to heal our hearts. He's going to give us the rest that we long for. And the Bible says he will wipe away, he will wipe away every single tear and he will dwell with us. But the Bible speaks about this feast. And we're going to sit around this table with Jesus and we're going to feast with him. Oh, look at the beauty of this, right? We have been invited. Anyone may come. You might be sitting here this morning. Well, that sounds good, but I'm a bit of a screw up. I've made a lot of mistakes. I've got a lot of regrets. I think I'm a bit beyond Jesus' forgiveness. Can I tell you that's not true? You've misunderstood the cross. The cross is for our mess and our mistakes. And Jesus' forgiveness goes all the way into our sin. His grace goes further than you can imagine. So you have an invitation to the great feast that Jesus will put on one day. You have an invitation to the table in King Jesus. So come. So in Jesus we receive like Mephibosheth. But in Jesus we also show Hesed like David. Verse 3, what does David do? I want to show the kindness of God. Now that's true of us too, right? We've received all of this in Jesus. And so now we spend our lives having received this kindness, having received this committed, loyal, loving, good news of the gospel, and we now spend our lives proving that anyone is welcome to Jesus' table. We must work hard as a church to prove that everyone is welcome, regardless of race and ethnicity, regardless of background, regardless of messiness in the past and the present, regardless of disability. Everyone must come, and we work hard to bring people to the table I think it's sometimes the most tragic thing you can hear a Christian say is, do we really want these people around here? No. That's the sound of someone who's missed the good news. What we must do is be the kind of people who consider it our pleasure to invite people into this great global and historic family of God. To invite them to become sons and daughters. Is that not the tune of the church? To welcome like David does? 
Should we not be the people who, who proclaim to the world, come on, come to Jesus with us. Can, can you see, bring your shame, bring your guilt, bring your hurt, bring your pains, bring your sufferings, bring the chaos, bring the regrets, bring the stains, bring the scars. Let's go to the cross together and find that we have a savior who brings us to his table and makes us sons and daughters. Do you see this? We receive this in Christ, but because we've received it from Jesus, it now comes from us in Jesus. And what a beautiful moving story. I hope you catch something of that this morning, because I think it's incredible. It leaves a deep impression upon us. David has a dogged determination to show kindness, and he shows it to Mephibosheth. This kindness is significant, it's surprising. And the result is that it brings him to the table and in the family. So may we see that we have the same in Jesus. That we have received this kindness in God. And that we get to show this kindness of God. And it's all because we belong to King, Savior, Jesus. Let's pray together and then the band are going to sing. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word constantly captivates our hearts. We thank you for the sheer beauty of the good news. That outsiders like us are brought to the table. That people like us are made sons and daughters. And now because that's the truth in Christ for us. We have the privilege of welcoming others to the feast, to the table, and into the family. Father, I want to pray for those who do not yet know Jesus. And this morning may have been captivated by the good news of the gospel. Father, we bring our sins to you, knowing that in Christ you are faithful to forgive all of them. Not with our good works, but resting in on Jesus. Father, I pray for us as a church. May we be impassioned and given a single-minded determination to prove that anyone may come to Jesus. Father, we thank you that your hesed is the greatest reality over our lives. Help us to live in that truth today. And we're praying in the name of our Savior King, who's brought us to his table. Amen.